everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Uh, now, last episode, we reviewed X-Men number 52, featuring one of my favorite artists, Ian Churchill, and one of my favorite writers, Steve Orlando. Uh, the X-Men defeated Mesmero and his army and Lorna Dane's around, but none of that really matters because today's issue is kind of a standalone. It doesn't seem to kind of carry over. Basically, all you need to know is Professor X is still pretending to be dead. <laughs> That's kind of all you need for this issue today. Uh, today, we're going to be reviewing X-Men number 53 from December 1968. It's called The Rage of Blastar, uh, written by Arnold Drake with pencils by Barry Windsor Smith. We'll talk about Barry today. Uh, inks by Michael D, who, uh, which is a pen name for Mike Esposito, and uh, letters by Herb Cooper with Stanley, of course, on edits. But I am thrilled to be joined by three of my very favorite writer friends, uh, one of them a new friend, two of them returning. Uh, let me have you each introduce yourselves. Let us know where we may know you from and uh, let us know your gender pronouns. And the question I have for everybody today, and you're welcome to use uh, uh, imitations if you want to, but name a character uh, who you read in print. And then when you saw them in animated format, they had a pretty surprising voice. Uh, let's go in the order of uh, Clay, Carrie, and then Kath. I am thrilled to welcome uh, Mr. Clay McLeod Chapman on the podcast. Hi, Clay. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This is such a trip. If, if you heard that ice cream truck going by, that was out my window. Uh, I'm here in Brooklyn, forgive me. Uh, it's a hot, <laughs> sweltering day in Brooklyn right now. Um, so everyone's running for the ice cream truck. Um, I guess my, uh, let me see. I'm Clay McLeod Chapman. Uh, he, him, uh, I guess, I, you know, it it kind of baffles me to think where anyone would even <laughs> know, know me from. I, I've, I've been very fortunate to write uh, for Marvel every so often. Um, so, I, you know, I've written a little bit for Spider-Man. I've written a little bit for, I, I mean, I guess if anything, uh, I, I was lucky to write for uh, Scream, the symbiote Scream uh, for a stretch there before uh, COVID kind of knocked the series out, but that was a lot of fun. Um, I've written tangentially or X-Men every so often, like, you know, uh, the rarest of rare, rare occasions. Um, and then a couple indie comics out there too, I've written for Boom. Um, but yeah, I, I did I answer the questions? I think that was the questions. Yeah, yeah, you did great. Ooh, okay. And then uh, do you have a cartoon, uh, cartoon voice that surprised you? Oh my God. Uh, it's so funny. I, you know, I grew up uh, at a particular time where G.I. Joe was very popular. My, you know, afternoons after school were basically spent watching, oh my Lord. Uh, yeah, G.I. Joe. And of course, like Transformers and, um, uh, He-Man, but, but there was something about, uh, Cobra Commander. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Cobra Commander. He has this very like, <laughs> like, it, like it's it's like a it's like a hissy like, <laughs> and it like it it like Tom waits with on helium. I guess is the the best way to 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 kind of share. Um, but yeah, I Cobra Commander was was by far the strangest. Like having read the comics, having collected the action figures, but then seeing the animation and saying like, oh, like, oh, wow, that's, that's what he sounds like. That, that was really surprising. 
I uh, I think you and I are probably about the same age. I grew up watching the same cartoons, and I totally yeah. remember Cobra Commander. <laughs> uh, let's go to my friend Carrie Harris next. Hi, Carrie. How are you? I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Um, I'm Carrie Harris, she, her, um, and I've done mostly uh, Marvel novels. So I've done a couple of X-Men, I've done Ghost Rider, um, and they just let me play with the Avengers, and I still can't believe they let me play with those toys. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also write my own um, original fiction, and um, yeah, that's me. Um, so actually, you know, I didn't, I, I was thinking about weird voices, and the one that came to mind is actually one that I didn't see in comic books first, but I had figurines. So I think it still counts, right? Um, but the the character is, I'm dating myself here, but let's go for it. Uh, Brack from Space Ghost. Oh, I love Brack. I love Brack too. And But he's got this, it, it's kind of a tribal looking mask with a hinged mouth. And then he sounds like the guy who hangs out outside the 7-Eleven trying to get everybody who walks in to buy him a beer. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what he's saying. And, and it was not the original voice because they changed it. And then it was his voice in Space Ghost, Coast to Coast and Cartoon Planet and all that stuff. And um, my college friends and I used to take breaks every um, gaming session. We would spend the night gaming and we would take a break and we would watch it. So Brack has a lot of sentimental memories for me. I cannot recall the voice specifically, but when I was in high school, as a joke with my friends, we would constantly perform Brack's, I once had a bologna sandwich that my mom gave to me today. Do you remember, uh, do you remember that? It, it's worth looking yeah. at. <laughs> yeah, my my kids and I um, will do the, um, uh, the banana. My oh, name yes. is Bingo. I have a banana. I like to climb on things. Zeke. So. Oh, wonderful. And then let's turn it over to my friend, Kath Loria. Kath, it's so good to see you. How are you? I'm back on. It's good. It's good times. Uh, so a uh, question was, let us know your gender pronouns, where we would know you from, and then uh, the uh, the cartoon character voice question. Yeah. Okay. So my pronouns are she, her. Um, and you would know me from, I've done some short stories, but I've also done, my most recent book is this one, Black Cat Discord, my newest heroine. Not that Elsa Bloodstone's not forever close to my heart, but that's my latest novel. Um, and then, oh, cartoon characters. So I saw this one in plushy form before I actually had to um, hear its voice. So it's not quite the same, but now it haunts my dreams because my four-year-old likes it and that's SpongeBob. <laughs> And I can't stand it. So this is the one show where I've had to put my foot down and say, baby, it's headphones or you can't watch it. Yeah, that's entirely fair. Speaking as a parent, there are shows that are verboten in my home as well. It's just too much. I can't. The laughter just kills me. It makes me want to scream. So. <laughs> scream, huh? Clay? That was a that was a Clay McLeod chapter. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Run with it. Uh, I keep saying McLeod, but it's McLeod. Yeah, let's go McLeod. It's McLeod. Uh, like McDonald's in the sky. We interviewed uh, Bob Mc Bob McLeod on the podcast, but his is McLeod and yours is McLeod. So oh my God, this is just making it more confusing. Wait, that's uh, 
<laughs> he, he's standing by it. He's he's saying McLeod. It was McLeod. It, yeah, if I'm recalling correctly, I'll have to go back and double check. Okay. And then uh, lastly, my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, you guys know me because you already listened to the podcast. But uh, I uh, I can think of a lot of characters with crazy voices. Skeletor from He-Man is probably the main go-to. He has, uh, he's, a, he's this like crazy looking skeleton guy at a purple hood. And he has this ah, He-Man wah, 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 kind of voice. And it, it's hilarious. Uh, I always go back to Storm from X-Men, the animated series as well. Because every word was just high drama. Uh, like uh, so, so thick with the drama, with every possible sentence, uh, and then Marge Simpson, of course, is uh, is just iconic. Uh, I can think of uh, a thousand. I thought of this too, as I was doing a final reread of our issue for today. Uh, Blastar does a lot of monologuing, and I thought I bet every person hears his voice differently in, <laughs> in their brains. So we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, we're gonna spend some time, of course, uh, getting to know Clay a little bit since you are the featured guest on our podcast this week. Uh, Clay, I am a long-term fan of your writing. I'm a former Marvel former Marvel Comics handbook writer, and I still maintain some of the database stuff. So most of the new books that Marvel writes, I will type up summaries, and then I send them in for a database to be used. And uh, I've followed your name for a long time, and I really enjoy a lot of your work. Um, but you came up uh, on the podcast. I am not believing. I just, I refuse to believe it. This is amazing. You're, you're making me feel... You're rolling out the red carpet tonight, but that's oh, amazing. Just you wait until I start with my questions. <laughs> uh, I, your name came up most recently on the podcast. We were talking to uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson and your name came up. We were also talking to Will Robson and your name came up. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to email Clay. So I'm so happy uh, to have you here. Let's start with, if you will, just kind of tell us your journey into working uh, in comic books, specifically if you'll share your story about how you got into Marvel work a little bit. I would also yeah. love it if you'd weave in uh, your story as an X-Men fan, if you are <laughs> indeed an X-Men fan. For sure. I, I mean, okay, like it, I, I feel like my, the, the only thing that I can kind of tell you is that uh, I, I feel very, very lucky um, because I've, I've had this, this really kind of humble existence, kind of writing anything and everything like, you know, an opportunity presents itself and I've learned to just say, yes, um, it's led to writing for, you know, publishing, like, you know, fiction novels for both kind of younger readers and adult readers, uh, you know, film and TV work, um, comic book work musicals I mean you name it and it, it this has been you know upwards to like you know professionally speaking maybe like 20 years of of just writing writing and telling stories spinning yarns um but I I started kind of the foundation for my writing was uh <laughs> playwriting and I'm from Virginia uh and I I there there was like a statewide playwriting competition for for high school students and pretty much any any writer who has come through Virginia in the last 20, 30 years has has kind of gone through this program. And uh, I was very fortunate to go through it as a student. Uh, and then I came back as a as a instructor, like a, a like a like a workshop instructor. And this this had to be like 20, like 2001, 2002. Uh, we're going a little white, like maybe 20 years ago. And I, I was teaching a group that year's kind of group of, of playwrights. And one of the students, I think she was like a junior, maybe, maybe a sophomore, 
sophomore, junior in high school. Her name was Ellie and Ellie was a, a shining bright star. She was amazing. Like, you know, her, her work was phenomenal. <laughs> and uh, she, she was so great that she came back the next year. Like she kept winning this contest until they had to kick her out and, you know, send her off to college. Um, and that was like, I mean, literally that was like, two, that was like 2002, that was 20 years ago. And, you know, I, I probably didn't hear from her for years and years. Like she, she went to SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. She was down in Georgia. Uh, at some point she graduated from college. She moved to New York. She got an internship at this, this publishing place called Marvel Comics, uh, you know, kind of working her way up the ladder. Like she, she was an intern. I think that lasted maybe a summer. She became like a, like they kept her on. So she was like a, what, like an associate editor, editor, like a, like an assistant editor. Like she basically like whatever kind of like name they could attach attached to the word editor like they like probably when she started she had like associate intern editorial editor you know assistant like all all strung together um but then like 2009 she became Steve Wacker's uh, assistant um she was the assistant editor to you know for Spider-Man and I was doing a reading at uh, you know the Bowery Poetry Club in in downtown Manhattan, and Ellie was there, and I hadn't seen her since she was in high school, and she was she she came up to me and she was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I was uh I was in your playwriting class, and now I I'm an editor at Marvel, and I and I work with Steve Wacker, and we do Spider Man. Have you ever thought about writing for Spider Man? And when anyone ever kind of poses that question, you you immediately say yes. And uh, I like, you know, like maybe a week later, I had lunch with Ellie and Steve Wacker and, uh, you know, they were asking me to pitch them Spider-Man stories. And uh, I, I cut my teeth kind of learning how to write comics by writing the kind of back nine, like the, the whatever the, the kind of B story plot, the non-canon, non like just, you know, the, the kind of like Spider-Man learns how to do his laundry or, you know, don't don't do drugs, kids, that that kind of story. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. It was I I was suddenly writing for Spider-Man and I, I it just, you know, it, it blew my mind. And, it, you know, it just goes to show that, like, anyone you meet, regardless of their age, their, you know, whoever they are, wherever they are, like the circumstances, like Ellie worked her way up the editorial ladder at Marvel. She became her own editor and she became my boss um, to the extent where like anytime she ever, you know, I, I love to write spooky stuff, kind of weird off offbeat stuff, creepy stuff. And um, she like whenever they there needed to be like a Halloween issue or a, a monster, you know, issue, she would reach out to me and in the real, I, I, I'm rambling on, forgive me. Um, I'll You're great. <laughs> um, the, the, the kind of pivotal kind of turning point at my tenure at Marvel was uh, Edge of Spider-Verse came out in uh, 2014. Whenever, whenever Spider-Verse, the uh, comic event Spider-Verse happened, uh, they, they did a prequel series, a prelude to it called Edge of Spider-Verse. And, you know, they 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 did five issues and they 
selected, you know, individual writers and artists to do each individual issue. You know, it's famously known for the the kind of origin story of Spider Gwen. That right, was yeah, yeah. issue two. Um, I got to do issue four, uh, which was uh, basically kind of reconfiguring um, the Peter Parker Spider-Man origin story and turning it into a uh, Tales from the Crypt style horror movie. So like imagine, you know, Peter Parker getting bit by a radioactive spider. Uh, but what if um, that that version of Peter Parker had no moral compass or no kind of ethical, you know, n- like none of the things that we attribute to Peter Parker, but but was in, in effect a sociopathic young man. And uh, what happens if they get bit by a radioactive spider and turn into a you know, spider monstrosity. Uh, and it was, uh, it was amazing because it was the, it was the first time to really kind of like take the the reins of Spider-Man, the character and uh, go, go really far with it. And Ellie pushed me to like, like, I mean, she, I, I'm kind of amazed at how far we were able to push just one issue, but it was, it was horrifying <laughs> in all the best ways. Um, and I, you know, long story short i i owe ellie everything like she honestly got me started so any chance i get to sing her praises um she started working she was at vertigo for a while now she came back to marvel she's uh working in there she's no longer an editor but she's kind of in the marvel entertainment bracket like whatever that that corridor over there um you know doing podcasts and film production and all all of the fun video stuff so you uh, you are clearly like the nicest guy and i know just what a twisted scary little brain you have in there because i have read your horror books <laughs> your your edge of spider-verse that you mentioned is so scary i if i had to choose one that just uh, kind of knocked my socks off it was your absolute carnage separation anxiety special oh, yeah. uh, which was so scary, and then my maybe my favorite of yours was your 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 Devil's Reign Villains for Hire series, where the the like little creepy moments that you would work in almost as humor were like agonies, like spitting acid and burning people's faces, <laughs> fucking up. Like it's really good stuff, Clay. You're 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 very talented. That slow burn, uh, punch you in the jaw horror stuff is is very good. Oh man, you bring up uh, absolute carnage. And that was, again, that was like, that was such a joy. Um, that was, the editor there was Devin Lewis, who's great. And and he's he's the kind of editor that I've been working with most recently. Uh, we also did the Devil's Reign issues together. But Absolute Carnage, Separation Anxiety was phenomenal because they paired me up with uh, this artist, Brian Level, who, my God, like, I, you know, like, I, I, it's it's I, I feel like it's one thing to kind of like try to articulate the story and and kind of express like this is where I want to go with the material or the story. When they paired me up with Brian, who is this amazing artist, uh, his most recent graphic novel is called Silk Hills, um, which is on Oni, which you should com- totally totally check out. Um, it is I, like basically Brian. Like I wrote the script. I was like, there's no way we're going to be able to get half of this into print. And then Brian took it. <laughs> he was he he pushed it to such a higher level that I was like, how 
like I know there's a rating system. Like I know there's like I know, like you know who like like that that to me was probably one of the more horrifying comics that I've ever participated in. And and the whole time it's just this like oh my god like we're really we're really going there. We're pushing we're pushing something. I don't know if it's the envelope. I don't know if it's somebody's you know pink slip. Like I don't know who's gonna get fired because of this. But like it 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 was it definitely felt kind of profane in the best of ways. And I totally, totally believe it's because of Brian Level's artwork that that- You just, uh, you just said that Brian pushed your story to another level. Was that pun intended? <laughs> I'll take it. Let's do it. He, pushed, he, he lifted, he lifted it. He's, Brian's amazing. I, I feel like any chance I get to work with Brian, I will take it in a heartbeat. It doesn't matter what it is because his art is just so oh, it's so good it's so you, good you write a scary symbiote uh carrie you got to do uh some venom symbiote stuff in your last avengers book did you are you a venom fan did you enjoy taking over that character yeah actually um you know i had uh, because it was the second book in the series i had um some characters that i had to use you know that carried over from book one but there were a couple i could pick and venom was one of them um, just because I wanted to do Eddie and Venom talking to each other, um, because it's one of my favorite things ever. And they were really that on the page. Um, you know, it, because it, because it's all text. Um, it was really just you know Venom is italicized and um, uh, Eddie is not. But but one of the fun things is what pronouns do they use? And how do they change depending on whether they agree or disagree or are trying to wrest control from each other? Um, because sometimes it's we and sometimes it isn't. <laughs> sometimes it very deliberately is not. And usually it's Eddie trying to pull away, right? Um, yeah. which, which was just a blast, right? They were really hungry for pizza in your book. <laughs> I was hungry when I wrote it. <laughs> well, and uh, Clay mentioned um, Brooklyn. We had just moved to New York. I, I was probably driving past your neighborhood today. I was in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, we had just moved to New York and there's this pizza place right down the street from my house. And that's a bad thing. Because, you know, I'm writing. I want some pizza. So I just wrote about it. <laughs> so Clay, you've got to do a lot with uh, symbiotes. I have a couple of symbiote related questions uh, that are just going to tie into your books very briefly, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, number one, and I'm not going to give context for this yet, but who is Dr. Davinia Marcia Pornello? Oh my God. I Say it one more time. So in, in your Absolute Carnage book, you yeah. included backup stories with oh, you, with you in the book. <laughs> With you in the book interviewing some of the villainous characters, and it was you and Dr. Davinia Marsha Pornella doing the oh interviews. God. And I was like, is this like a real person from his life? That is amazing. I, you totally caught me off guard. I'm going to come clean and admit like I can't even remember. But it's amazing that you remember those 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 one sheets because they were, again, it was Devin. And he was like, we've got some space. Uh, we want to do some uh, transcripts for these characters because I, uh, you know, I'm going to completely come clean and show my my off colors here. But like, uh, you know, whatever that was absolute carnage, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
there was whatever the whatever they were kind of paying homage to like they had done it before in a previous uh comics carnage comic series and they're like oh we should do that again and uh they didn't have any ideas other than they just wanted it to be really creepy so um if i'm not you know someone is gonna have to correct me and i will be forever in comic writer jail but i believe that that character was a pre-existing character um Ooh, i'll have to maybe, look it up maybe um i'm i could totally be wrong i'm gonna fail any pop quiz you give me so <laughs> i'm going to admit it up front um, i don't know that being a pre-existing character but here's a fun fact for you I don't, I don't work on the handbooks any longer but whenever there was a writer's name in a book so if you use your name inside like you're the guy that wrote the newspaper story or whatever the handbook yeah. guys would always consider you an in-universe character so yeah. in in the handbook database it would totally say written by clay mcleod jackman but it would say the first appearance of clay mcleod <laughs> Chapman is behind the scenes in this issue. So uh, according to the continuity guys, you'd be in universe. Now. Oh my gosh, I'm canon. I never knew. That's amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, because they, they wanted it to, they wanted it to be <laughs> realistic or lifelike in some way. So they're like, oh, rather than just saying written by, we'll say transcribed by or something. Like they, they basically made it that like, that I was the one transcribing or like what is i'm going to blank on the name but what the sternographer like the person who who's basically there to uh <laughs> capture and document i'm i'm mind blown i totally did not know i'm going to say pre-existing character uh but someone in the comments is going to quickly shoot that down I will do a deeper dive. I don't know of this character, but I certainly do not remember every Marvel character uh, ever by any means. Uh, I I was super impressed. I love the use of obscure characters, particularly when they're used well. And when your name first really popped for me was in your Web of Venom Empire's End series. It's the middle of the Kree scroll conflict where they become <laughs> the big alliance at the end. And you could have used any throwaway Kree or scroll characters. But you brought in pre-existing characters from other books, in including like the character Kia from the Starjammer series and oh, Ethan man. Edwards and General Calamari of all, <laughs> of all people. How did you choose these random characters to weave into your narrative? It's a great issue. It's a lot of fun. That, that one was a lot of fun too. You're picking all the, you're cherry picking. You're picking like, you're making it sound like I actually know what I'm doing, but I like, <laughs> those, like these, like it's all diminishing returns after those three. Um, <laughs> Empire's End was so much fun because it was based, I mean, like, I'll admit, like, I just wanted to rip off Alien. Like, I wanted to do Alien with symbiotes. And, like, that That was that was my mandate. And Marvel, again, it was Devin. God bless him. He, he, they were basically like, this is the end of, I mean, this is the end of Empire, uh, but it's the beginning of King and Black. So we need we need one issue that kind of finishes one, wraps up one, and kickstarts the other. So like that, like the web of Venom Empire's End was the kind of the gooey kind of synapse between between those two mega events. And uh, <laughs> I got to write it, and I was just like, can we just do Alien in space? Like I just wanted to get all Ridley Scott and like you know like have you know just get really intense and spooky and. And Devin was like, yeah, go for it. And so we started talking about like what, what they wanted in terms of the, the kind of roster of 
like you if you watch Ridley Scott's Alien, it's amazing because like there is this this group of blue collar, really diverse, like interestingly diverse, like 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 team of 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 cr- like crew, and the crew, like I wanted that I wanted to kind of emulate that, so we wanted like a rat tag group of people so we we just started kind of making a laundry list of like all the like characters like going back as far as we could think and like i don't know they weren't so much callbacks as much as like what kind of motley crew could you put together in space and have it feel like there's tension there uh there there are kind of age old kind of simmering resentments and like you know like just make it make it feel like there's a kind of a well lived in kind of well-tread uh comfortability is not the right word but 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 that they they know each other that like they come with <laughs> history and they come with with that that kind of uh relationship to them already so yeah it was, it was really just a matter of kind of digging into the back catalog and finding finding fun characters to kind of play with and then kill Anytime someone's going to use General Calamari, you've got me one over. <laughs> uh, Kat, you are just for the name, like that was like you gotta like someone's gotta say Calamari like at least once. Kath, you are also uh, very, very surprising in some of your choices with Obscure. In your latest book, you brought in Firestrike and Blackwing. And I was like, what? Nobody cares about these people. I was very, very pleased to see these characters from the New Warriors second volume used. Uh, and I love, of course, your your delicious bisexual black cat. I, I adore her. Your book was uh, really, really wonderful. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your story there. I think that's one of the best parts is doing that, like you put together sort of a cast. And if I'm going to get to write for Marvel, it's like, why wouldn't I want to steal other people's characters and shove them into my book? I might as well. <laughs> I already, like I get... I'm a cameo fiend. So as soon as they said I could write Black Cat, I was like, all right, that means I get to write a Spider-Man scene. Who else is in New York and who can I have? I want Tony Stark. I want Stephen Strange. They're like, you can't have Stephen Strange. And I was like, okay, fine. (laughs) So I, you know, gave, you start small. You're like, can I have Firestrike? And they're like, oh yeah, who's Firestrike? You can totally have Firestrike. I'm like, great, awesome. Can I have Tony Stark? They're like, how long are you going to use him for? No more than like five, 10 pages, I promise. So yeah, I love bringing in obscure characters. It's like an Easter egg for people who know more than me. Lots of Iron Fist deliciousness. It's, oh, a, it's a great book. It's super fun. Thank you. He's my favorite himbo. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't use Doctor Strange because Carrie was busy with him over in her adventures book. <laughs> I know. It's my fault. I'm so sorry. Next time we have to share. Yeah, we can trade. There we go. Timeshare. Timeshare strange. That's right. Uh, Clay, you've had the chance to work with some incredible artists who capture the horror of your scripts really well. You re- you referenced uh, Brian Lovell before. Uh, Manuel Garcia and Chris Mooneyham and Gary Brown. Uh, and I don't even know how to say his name right. G- Giuvianova, I think, is how you say that uh, the artist's name. Uh, but really, really delicious stuff. Your uh, your Scream series is, of course, really wonderful. And you got to say earlier, the pandemic kind of interrupted your process with that. But you were doing some great things with uh, Andy Benton. How did that series come to be? It was a lot of fun. Uh, I I love I love that. That was that was my first ongoing series. It 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 felt really special 
And it was such a heartbreaker that, um, uh, you know, co coronavirus, the, the pandemic, uh, <laughs> just shut down all of the, the the kind of the shipping supply and they they had to make some really kind of unkind cuts so i always feel kind of it's such a bittersweet kind of story uh thinking about how like like we had written we had gone up to issue 10 in terms of scripting uh and we all and and gary had done art up till like i think eight i want to say um, but we only published up to six. Right. So it was such a, like, it was like, we were so close to like our, like beginning our second arc. Yeah. You um, could tell, you could tell in reading it. I just reread it. You could tell you weren't ready to be done. Yeah. We, we were gonna, we had some fun things in mind, but you know, in, in true Marvel fashion, nothing, nobody really dies. Everybody comes back when, whenever there's enough demand and, you know, a readership for it. So I, I want to be a firm believer that Andy and Scream will will come back at some point, uh, whether it's me writing it or somebody else. Like, I, I feel like the, there's Andy, you, you know, it, it's what you were kind of suggesting with with Eddie and Venom before. I So much of what makes the symbiotes uh, rich to write is the relationship. You're not you're not just writing for one character you're writing for two and more often than not you're writing specifically about the dynamic between those two characters and how they either embrace one another how they uh like where is the internal tension to their relationship and uh andy you know andy benton is one of these characters who who before i started writing for them like they they came with such trauma i mean there was such like i mean uh, like from family members dying to just like losing your 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 mentor like it, it, it's astounding how like you know and then having this hell mark on top of it all like you know the the ability to like open the gates of of hades like it's andy i i just loved andy because was because they were a character that felt uh I, I'm, hmm, I was going to say broken, but that doesn't feel right. Andy feels like the, like just raw. Like there was just a raw current to her, raw energy to her. And by adhering that energy to the scream symbiote, it it brought out the best in her. It it made her confront a lot of her past. Um, and I, and I think that like. I don't know. Every time I am going to have an opportunity to write a symbiote story, you know, uh, who like Marvel willing, um, it's they're always going to be relationship dramas like at their core. Every symbiote story, whether it's agony or riot or, you know, venom, like they're all they're all relationships. And I I feel like you have to factor that into whatever story you're telling, because um, otherwise it's just like another spandex suit and i think that's that's you know doing the the characters a disservice once in a while i sit back and go god there's a lot of symbiotes <laughs> <laughs> uh you got to use uh you got to use peter david's character the mother of grendel in that and you gave us four as beowulf which was also wonderful god. uh really really <laughs> great stuff Matt. it was it was a blast um, my favorite writing of yours, if I chose just one is your uh your trio of typhoid fever books 
Uh, and Nesenti, I got to interview on my podcast, which was such a huge personal honor because her Daredevil run in particular uh, was just such a seminal part of my adolescence. Uh, I, I read it years after it came out, but it was uh, it was a huge, huge transformation for me. And a, and a big part of her series is Typhoid Mary, who she still got to write even recently. Uh, and you got to do that character a lot of really beautiful justice uh, right before Chip Zdarsky brought her into Daredevil and made her the wife of the Kingpin. <laughs> uh, but you got to do one of them, uh, one of the stories featuring the X-Men, and you got to use the X-Men Red Team. Tell us a little bit about uh, Typhoid Fever and how it came to be and, and the story you got to use. Man. Um, well, first off, I, I got to say, like, I'm... I uh, I'm shocked that that th like of all the ones that that's the one you're gonna pick because it really I you know it's so hard when you think of like you know the 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 typhoid fever was one of these comics that I don't like I I really had high ambitions to it and it was really challenging um, and I don't know if we threaded the needle so I always feel kind of like again, there's a little bit of a bittersweet quality to kind of thinking about that one, not because it was canceled. I mean, it, it, it did its whole miniseries run, but like it is, it's a tough, it's a, you know, maybe it's because I'm, I'm paying too much lip service to uh, what, what readers think. And like, I'm responding to that, but like, I, I know when we wrote it, uh, there was this vibe of like, Typhoid Mary is one of these characters who when when she shows up you 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 sense a certain kind of tragedy to to their character yeah yeah um and but but more often than not and you you could probably correct me if i'm wrong it it seemed to go kind of unexplored a lot like the like there was it was rare for for mary to have like a like a like a full on like this is this is about you mary this is your story um, it was either kind of in in context to Daredevil or in context to Kingpin or in context to in relation to somebody else. And, you know, when talking to Devin again about like what what I wanted this story to be, it was like, I want to like like I want to focus on a character who, you know, has had again trauma, has, you know, uh, dealt with with kind of. Uh, bipolar disorder like like you know like there's there's something very specific about like the fragility and the the kind of the like the broken quality to her character that like i just wanted to pick up a lot of those pieces that that felt like they've been left on the table and 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 if not piece them back together again at least try to show an a side of Mary where Mary gets to tell her story or or is attempting to tell her story. So so the whole point, the whole kind of like like beyond Iron Fist and beyond Spider-Man and the X-Men, like like I wanted it to be this is Mary's story and let let her have a moment where you can kind of at least explore the kind of the the, the background, like bring the background to the foreground of who who her character was. You gave us so much of her. You gave us. You gave us so much of her internal world. And Mary is a character that's constantly at war with herself. Uh, and yeah. I, I think the reason it's my favorite is because she is such a beloved character for me. Uh, Catherine Carey, are you guys Typhoid Mary fans? Yes, 
Um, I am a huge Typhoid Mary fan. In fact, I keep pitching Typhoid Mary stories. And they and so far, no one has bitten. <laughs> and it, I, I have I have feelings. I have very deep feelings. <laughs> I honestly don't know that much about her beyond um, some issues of Daredevil. So, uh, so obviously, I need to have my world expanded by reading these books of yours. <laughs> this is where I've got to go, Clay. She's uh she's initially brought into Daredevil as uh she's got a multiple personality, uh, a couple of them. And she's kind of Daredevil's sweetheart in one side, but she's this crazy assassin working for the Kingpin on the other. She is a mutant. I keep waiting for her to be brought into the X-Men at some point uh, in some, in some way. Uh, Clay, how did you, um, how did you pick the team of X-Men you got to use in your typhoid fever X-Men special? You know, it, I, I will cop to the, 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 the notion that it was actually, it wasn't an assignment, but they were definitely like, we're thinking these characters. And, and, you know, when they, when, when your Marvel says like, you know, these are the characters that we want you to, to kind of focus on you. I, I think one kind of acknowledges that there's, there's something that is, you know, further down the pipeline where these characters will, will kind of either be put into play or it will segue into something else or dovetail into anything some somewhere else. I don't know if it actually ultimately did. Um, I do know that uh, there were some very specific mandates uh, where issue one had to be Spider-Man, issue two had to be X-Men, and it had to be those specific X-Men, and issue three had to be uh, <laughs> Iron Fist. And you know, on its surface, I, I, I like just that that uh, that assignment alone. It's just like that's a lot of a lot of different characters to put to to throw against the mix when in you know in all in reality all i wanted to do was kind of play with play with uh typhoid mary in, in that sandbox um so you know in terms of who picked those x-men it was it was marvel but what became very clear to me um beyond gene's powers like that, I, I think the only person who could actually reach and connect with with Mary was Jean Grey, and sure. I and I felt like that that was that was kind of a guiding light in terms of you know taking taking all of the powers and every all of all of the things that are kind of flying around in that issue, but but at least trying to ground it in a conversation between two characters who if not on their surface, share a commonality, they at least, there's a desire to connect there. Um, and I just love, I don't know, I just love the idea of uh, um, Jean and Mary having their conversation, regardless of fists and powers flying. Um, the only character I did get to bring in was Zachary Amp. I like, he was, Zachary was the one like, we were like, what, who, how can we be responsible for making this all happen? And uh, there was like, well, what about Zachary? So it was like, okay, that's that's where we're going to go. Uh, Amp is uh, a, a mutant who premiered in Cena Grace's Iceman series. It was very surprising to see him brought back in your series. Uh, uh, he's he's a fun character. Yeah. I don't know if we did him. I, I think we may have did, did him a, a bit of a disservice because he was pretty much comatose through the entire <laughs> run. <laughs> but like, but there was this feeling of like, you know, 
Mary, Mary taps into his power set and that like it, I don't know, like I just love this idea of um, Mary becoming like, like maximizing Mary in this way where like there's no other choice, there's no other course of action than for Mary to explode, like to, to, to kind of burn, burn herself out. And uh, that happens through Zachary. Uh, and you got to use Iron Fist, who I just learned is Kath Gloria's number one himbo. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Iron Fist is tough. How do you guys, how do you write for Iron Fist? How does one write for Iron Fist? I'm posing this question as like, a, like, where do we go with Iron Fist? You go gently. You go with <laughs> compassion. You stick him with people who will appreciate him, but also, you know, who don't mind sharing screen time. Like he was, he was perfect for what I needed him to be at the moment in the book, which was a sweet, superpowered escort who wasn't going to handle the goods in the wrong way. So, you know, you you just you sort of, you drill down to what you think that individual's core characteristics are and you lean hard into them when they're not your main character. So um, I like him. I've always liked him. I should, I should, I mean, he's not all sunshine and roses, but he is very, I mean, God, he's just so himbo-ish. He's, uh, <laughs> he's camp in a way that I love, but he's also yeah. a white billionaire who like took on right? powers. Why? <laughs> <There's... laughs> I know. Like one of the only ways he can be endearing is to be a himbo because otherwise he's Tony Stark. And then you have to appreciate that character for a whole other reason. It's like, well, you're a effing jackass. <laughs> but, you know, you've got your place too. So, uh, Clay, what is your journey as an X Men fan? Uh, and then do you have a favorite X Men and a favorite X villain? Um, Juggernaut just popped into my head. I, I mean, he's literally on the wall behind me, so that's 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 fair. Oh, even better. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I there's something about him that I just I don't know why, but I just love. I don't know why. Why do I love Juggernaut so much? I just love the kind of like sheer like that there there could be a character that's just purely momentum like that like it's it's based solely on this idea of like you know i'm building up steam to become something powerful i just like i just like the kinetic energy of him uh and i love that helmet uh so he he takes my heart um as far as heroes go um i mean i'm i might say storm only because, am I gonna say Storm? I think it was, I mean, I, I feel like these are obvious choices, but but Nightcrawler or Storm. Um, Nightcrawler, because I feel like, I don't know, like there was, I, I love the characters that have a certain tragedy to them that like sure, you, yeah. you, you can see the, the, the kind of complete history of their character and like, you know, Nightcrawler feels like a very well explored character. So the, the dimension to that character to me um, feels really, I don't know, touching. Um, my wife, before I came on, made me promise that I would tell everyone that our first date 
was to see X-Men 3. So I I don't know if that gets me brownie points or gets them detracted, subtracted from my uh, street cred. But uh, we, uh, our first date was to see, what was that? X-Men, what was the... What was the X-Men that nobody really liked back then? X-Men 3? X-Men United? X-Men... I think it's called X-Men United. I think that's yeah. correct. X-Men United? Yes. Um, and we we got married. So I I think I have the... Uh, I can say that the X-Men brought us together. At the very least, that movie featured uh, uh, Carrie Harris's girlfriend, Kitty Pride. <laughs> Except they screwed around with her, but let's not talk about that because I'll rant. <laughs> <laughs> then they give her like time travel powers. That yeah, was what was that? <laughs> uh, what a delight to pick your brain. Clay, I can, uh, I don't know you well, but I can tell by the look on your face, you were surprised and jarred by my questions today. I hope they, <laughs> I hope they caught you off guard. <laughs> no, they're beautiful. I, I feel bad. Like I want to like, the only one I feel like I totally face planted on is I want to know where that character's name came from because there's clearly a history to it. I feel like it's someone that pre-existed. Someone like that character had to do another interview somewhere, and we just, I just like glommed it. I took it. In my, in my mind, it. it was like it was like a, a teaching colleague of yours that you brought in. Like, <laughs> Let's do this interview together. <laughs> oh my gosh! Can you imagine? No, I, it, I, it's not even that. That a uh, like, I wish, but uh, no, it, it has to be like that's a pre-existing character. I'm going to I'm going to say it. Someone can correct me later. I will go into writer jail, but I I'm going on record as saying that it was a pre-existing character from were those the, I I feel like those took place in Ravencroft, right? Or at least I, a few of them did. Yeah, 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 I believe so, yeah. yeah. So I think it was it had to be a doctor someone from Ravencroft. That I got to I got to interview uh, Linda Fight on my podcast, who's like one of the first women to ever work at Marvel and Marvel's first published writer. And she did the cat series with uh, with the character who became Tigra way back in the early 70s. And Kat uh, got her powers because a scientist named Dr. Joanne Tumalo worked on her. I'm like, how'd you come up with that name? And she's like, oh, Joanne Tumalo is a friend of mine in real life. She's like, anytime someone Googles her name, Tigra comes up now. <laughs> it's just delightful. Uh, Carrie and Kath, do you guys have any questions for Clay before we transition over to our issue review? Um, I have one. It was, it was kind of funny because when we found out that we were going to be on this episode together, I was looking at my, uh, my shelf because I'm like, I know... I know this name and I knew it from Villains for Hire because Heroes and Villains for Hire are two of my favorite. I will pick any of them up. Wow. Um, but uh, I was like, I'm missing something. And it turns out that I have an advanced pre-publication copy of your novel, Whisper Down the Lane. What? Oh, man. On my shelf. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah. So I, I got hey. it out. I was flipping through it. And so this, um, it's a it's a book about the satanic panic. So there's bits set in the 80s and then some more modern bits. And you bring up D&D and I, I already talked about gaming. Part of the reason I talked about gaming was because I flipped through this book and I was like, is, we talked about the satanic panic a lot yeah. in my D&D group. That was a thing. And everybody was saying, should the kids be allowed to play? So are you a gamer? Is that where it came from or it came from something else? Well, I mean, as a as a product of the 
70s, 80s, where D&D was, I, I mean, you know, it, I was of an age where like, I, I started to play D&D, but it was, it was always kind of like, I, I was the, you must be this tall to ride the ride. And I was uh, not tall enough. Um, and the mystique around D&D was so amazing to me where I loved, like it, it, it kind of, you know, as a child, too young to play D&D, I was always kind of gobsmacked over the, the fact that there weren't, that this wasn't a comic book, that like you would look at the handbooks and there were the, the intricately illustrated covers and then you would open it up and the, like the dense text would, would suddenly meet you. And there was this moment of like, oh wait, this is like the, the imagination has to kick in and, and, and kind of lift the, the material to, to that level. And I was always kind of inspired by that idea that like you're creating an ongoing story uh, that that either has no end or or is is its own kind of set time length, and I I, I just love that idea. Um, as someone who was kind of segueing out of choose your own adventures and wanting to kind of like indulge in something, like I was never a vi big video gamer, but I love the idea of of either telling a story, like playing a game or telling a story that had no limits that the, the parameters were were kind of mm -hmm. balanced and that's what DD was always to me and i love that um and and now i have a son who's nine and he's now embarking upon DD and he's already surpassing me like he's already like like knows so much more than i ever did um but yeah uh whisper down the lane was great because it it allowed me an opportunity to kind of write about my own kind of personal fears as a, a boy in the eighties of like heavy metal music and, you know, don't, don't like, don't get in that van with no windows, uh, you know, like it's uh, like just the, the kind of stranger danger of it all. Um, and, and put it in a fort, like in a background of uh, this, that, that, that period, the eighties were, I mean, it was amazing how afraid we were of everything. And you know, one could make the grand sweeping statement that, uh, you know, the more things change, the, the more they stay the same. And we're we're in the midst of, you know, every time I peek at Twitter, there's a new satanic panic that's that's just bubbling up. And it uh, it's it's just astounding that it never goes away. It just ironically, seems... ironically, growing up, I grew up uh, very religious and conservative Mormon. And we in the 80s were taught that uh, Dungeons and Dragons was something to be avoided. Like <laughs> we had a satanic panic about that too. <laughs> oh, everybody did. My parents were worried because I was playing D&D &D and, and reading Tolkien and all this weird stuff. But now I write like a gamer, so. <laughs> <laughs> you write brilliantly. And I, I, I'm a huge fan of all three of you. So let's take some time to uh, transition into our issue review for today. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever read this before. If any of you, it's an old throwaway issue of the X-Men. It's a standalone. Uh, let's give a little bit of context here. I mentioned Linda Fight before, who I adore. Linda was married to Herb Trimpey, who was one of the creators of Wolverine, wrote Hulk for a long time, et cetera, an artist. He, uh, he and Linda were working at the Marvel office, and Linda opened a letter one day back in the late 60s that was from a guy in London called Barry Smith. And she really liked his pencils and she called him on the phone and convinced him to come to New York so he could sit down with Stan Lee 
And uh, that's where Barry Smith got his start in comics. So thank you, Linda. Uh, Stan gave Barry his kind of first work, uh, working on basically this issue. Uh, so uh, uh, Barry did a lot of different comics for Marvel for a while. I did uh, Daredevil, The Avengers, and Conan and other things. Uh, and then he kind of became less affiliated with comics as time went on. Uh, returning for some really famous X-Men issues, X-Men uh, number 186, which is the famous Storm uh, life death story, for those that know it. Uh, he drew Uncanny X-Men 198 and 205 and 214, uh, as well as Excalibur number 27. But he's probably most famous for his Weapon X feature in Marvel Comics Prevents, Presents, which goes back and tells the Wolverine getting his adamantium story, which is so iconic. Uh, that That shirtless Wolverine with claws and like the big clunky metal helmet on uh that's that's barry who uh wrote and drew i have emailed barry and asked for an interview on the pod but i haven't heard back uh but he is still uh still living and uh, uh i don't know how much work he's doing currently but he is a a phenomenal uh, phenomenal guy do you guys have uh any stories about barry smith or his art and how it may have affected you or not He's wonderful, uh, really, really iconic penciler. Um, I'm super impressed by him. I, uh, I also, this is a non sequitur, but we just got through the uh, era of the X-Men where Jim Steranko took over for a couple of issues. Um, I've been tweeting about his art as we've been doing these recent reviews. And Jim uh, responded to me on Twitter very surprisingly uh, and just said, you know, kind of thank you for the lovely shout out. Uh, it's nice to hear from you. Uh, he's 83. Now you have to keep in mind, if you click on Jim's website, he draws a lot of very scantily clad women. But when he responded to my post, I basically said, hey, Jim, it's great to hear from you. I'd love to interview you on the pod sometime. And his response to me was, because we'd been talking about his creation of the character Lorna Dane. His response was basically, hey, Chad, I would love to see Lorna in a thong sometime. If you can make that happen, let me know. And I was like... Well, I think I'm done communicating with Jim Stranko now. <laughs> but Jim, we're still huge fans, but it was a very weird tweet. <laughs> so, uh, I was, it was fun to correspond briefly with Jim Stranko, though. Uh, <laughs> um, the other person who's introduced in this issue, we always like to do very brief profiles on any new creators coming in. Uh, we see the inker in this issue is Michael D., who is Mike Esposito. Uh, Mike Esposito lived from 1927 to 2010. He worked in the army as an illustrator in World War II. Uh, this was really fun to learn. He worked on an anti-venereal disease campaign, and he had posters that said, and I quote, uh, if you're dripping, you ain't shipping, <laughs> as well as VD or not VD, which is a, a, good, a brilliant World War II reference as well. Uh, <laughs> Mike went on to work with uh, with George Tuska uh, and especially Ross Andrew on a ton of books for Marvel over the years. He worked back in the timely days in the 50s, tons of stuff at DC as well. If you ever see the names uh, Michael or Mikey D, Mickey Demio or Joe Gaudiasso, which are all, all, all words are all names used back in the early comics. Those are all uh, Mike Esposito. Uh, he's most famous for Spider-Man stuff. Uh, he died at the age of 83. So there's a little bit of information on some new creators. We always like to give brief profiles. Uh, any comments on Mike Esposito before we jump in today? I had no idea that he used all of those pen names. That uh, it, it, is that to, in essence, kind of cover for 
doing more work than he was allotted or i am going to presume it's one of two things and i don't know this for a fact but sometimes uh especially back then people who were doing work for multiple companies would do different names in different places uh also sometimes people with more ethnic sounding names would choose different names to make their names sound less ethnic uh so that's something that happened as well sometimes but i can't say specifically why he had uh different pen names i'm not sure uh, so let's jump in today. We've got the uh, <laughs> character Blastar, who is uh, a denizen of the uh, negative zone. He is the king or the ruler of P planet Balur. The negative zone uh, is introduced in the Fantastic Four in Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's old stuff. He, it is a, a, a world or a universe where everybody kind of just floats around. <laughs> Time passes really slowly or really quickly there, I mean. Um, it, uh, the X-Men go to the negative zone once in a while, but not super often, but it's composed completely of antimatter and you have to use like very special gateways to get over to the positive universe, which is where we live, of course. And, uh, in Fantastic Four 62, 63, they fight this guy, Blastar, who comes and at the end of it, he's sent back to the negative zone. That's, uh, that's basically, uh, his pre-story. This is his third appearance in this issue. Are any of you familiar prior to today with uh, the character Blastar? No. He shows up in a Black Cat comic. Yes, yeah. They run when she goes to charm her way into the Fantastic Four's house. And who should they end up fighting but Blastar? <laughs> That's a great introduction. It was like, who the hell is this guy? I love him. He's a Kirby creation. A Carrie, are you familiar with Blastar? I'm not. I'm not. But I, I'm very, very perplexed at the fact <laughs> that he comes from uh, an environment that has no gravity because he has very luxurious facial hair, which you'd think would be all in his face. He needs some a headband. There are planets in the negative zone, but you kind of can just float in between them if you're Blastar. Uh, the negative zone is most prominently remembered in the comics as the source of Annihilus and the Annihilation Wave and the Annihilation series that's really well-beloved. Uh, but we don't need to talk about any of that today. Uh, Clay, are you willing to describe Blastar for us? Uh, we could look at the cover of uh, X-Men 53 as a template. What does he look like? I mean, you know, it's funny. we we start with his kind of hair suit accomplishments because I, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, a character even calls him lion head at one point, but uh, I mean, when I first laid eyes on our lovely Blastar, I, I swear to God, I thought it was a, I thought we were looking at a, like a He-Man uh, action figure. Like yeah, he, yeah. he has the physique of, like a one of those those Hasbro He-Man dolls, like he, you know, uh, how how does one describe him? Thick, muscular, um, wearing thick, a thick with two C's. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, very thick. Um, you know, we're we're the blue the blue onesie definitely is a uh, an eye catcher. Um, it's a choice. I, I, yes, you know his uh. You know, I I would say like if you took a gray lion baby, thick gray lion baby, <laughs> put him in a blue onesie PJ set, um, and then gave him the face of like 
Ernest Borgnine, maybe? Like he like like there's something maybe Don Rickles? Like he there's like a he he has kind of like a like Don Rickles meets a lion kind of face to me. <laughs> he's real fucking weird and I kind of love him because he's just so over the top all the time. Um we're going to open the issue with him just floating around space talking to himself about how great he is. Uh, but Kath, will you take us through the first five pages of the book? Let's talk about what happens. Oh, I will. I will. So we have that fabulous description of him. And on the cover, on the very first page of X-Men 53, he is beating the tar out of our team. Beast is getting it the worst. Cyclops has gone flying. Everybody's got faces of concern. So there are swooshes and honestly, I feel like the inker did a really great job because you get a real sense of, uh, of movement with this character. And then we move on to the absolute best way to introduce anybody, which is with a monologue. So we get started X-Men, the most unusual fighting team of all time, the rage of Blastar. Blastar with two A's. Two A's as Blastar. And now he's going to get pseudo Shakespearean. I will say he looks a little bit stranger, I feel, um, on the inside, the first page, uh, once you get past that cover. Less lion, more what's that strange, angry man doing inside of like a Furby. But um, moving on, here he is in the negative zone, for I am. Blastar, king of a limitless domain, emperor of all existence, beside my power all else is as nothingness. Yet cosmic monarch though I be, I have been felled by the foulest of fates. See, and to me, he has like a Skeletor voice. This is where I was just like, I'm Blastar! Like in my mind, mind, that's what he sounded like. That's good. I mean, I'm not going to do that to myself. I (laughs) love my voice. I, I just can't, I can't. Oh, I can't bring myself to do those voices. I get, I'm sorry, I get SpongeBob flashbacks. <laughs> so we're going to just pretend he's a little more like, like a Shakespearean actor down on their luck. Um, Which is kind of true. It is. It is like, I mean, my God, fortunes that are feeble, legions that are few. Condemned I am, he's talking like Yoda. I mean, (laughs) cruel conspirators who fly the vapid flag of what they would call decency and justice, condemned by them to roam the endless wilderness of negative space. I get it, I I don't know. I feel like he doesn't really, he's not really committed to his circumstances. Do you guys ever do that thing where you're driving around town by yourself and no one's in the car, but you're having like a mock argument with your mom or something and you're just talking out loud? That's kind of what I get. This is the vibe I get from him here. He's just pissed. He just wants someone to beat up. <laughs> still, still upset over the last time he was cut off in traffic. Or, you know, <laughs> banished back to the negative zone. That too. That too. Yep. Yep. He's got, and the negative zone is actually, I mean, there's a lot of pink in the negative zone. I'm pretty impressed. Um, to contest my might, I am chaff. I am dross. I am less than naught. Um, Golly, he's looking for a challenge. Blastar just wants a friend. <laughs> to <And> throttle. <laughs> yes, to, to, to take his rage out on. Um, and so he's going to go start Fight Club. So 
we move on to page three. Oh, there he is. Look at that, look at that background. God, I just want it to be a t-shirt. It's magenta and purple and red and green planets. And he's blasting himself around with his, his energy hand. I crave the lifeblood of combat and I must settle for silence and solitude. Lots of alliteration. Um, Got to enjoy that. The roar of battle and din of routed enemies was meat and drink to me, but here must I feast upon desolation and dark despair. This so guy's a lot. <laughs> oh my God, he's just so upset. So let's just, we're going to wrap it up with he's very upset. He feels <laughs> like he's not having people pay attention to him. Nobody wants to be ruled by him. He wants to break the chains of the physical laws that bind him asunder. I mean, but luckily, yeah. but luckily, Jean Grey is fucking around with Professor X's shit. <laughs> Thank God for Jean. Golly, here she is, hooking herself up. That's in the history on, on to page four. Everybody's in costume. Here she is. She's in this machine. You see these little black dots coming in around her, and you think to yourself, oh, oh negative zone dots. Um, so she alludes to the professor being dead. Beast is over there also being Shakespearean with his verily. Um, she's basically going to F around and find out. So there's Professor X has some sort of it's they call it a mind machine. Uh it can like basically teleport you, is kind of what they're getting at. And they're like, should you be messing with this? It's dangerous. It's uh like, yep. And did you know her very low belt and her very high hem? <laughs> <laughs> I noted a whole bunch of things about this as we go through. Whew, did I ever note them? Jean, Jean very rarely gets center stage ever. She's always background. So it's kind of fun to see her as like this giant splash page uh, with her hair, like so 1960s. Uh, I'm kind of digging it, actually. I do appreciate the focus on her. I mean, obviously, like, they couldn't let it just like lie, though. Um, as we find out later in the issue where we suddenly start to bring women's right to vote into things. But anyway, so she's going to be super careful. Don't worry, guys. She's going to be super careful. <laughs> and then she hits the go button. And then me being a romance writer in my other life, I have to say this page was very suggestive. Uh-huh. Because she's got mild tingling sensations so far, so good. The vibrations are building on the inside. More dots, more, you know, she's, she's, she looks like she's having a good time. Um, <laughs> we don't have to worry about her because this isn't girl martyr month. Must be a pinup calendar. And she's like, Miss January, girl martyr. And uh, things are getting a little more intense. Oh God, the buildup. Oh, one flash after another. Stop it. They just reminded her, please get out of there if you start to feel uncomfortable. And she's like, no, baby, I'm going to ride it till it breaks. And she does. <laughs> and then the circuits are overloaded and the power line is blocked. Uh, and, and, um, and Cyclops is so turned on. <laughs> oh, who wouldn't be? Look at that teeny tiny skirt. My goodness. You can just see middle panel, right hand side. She's going down, but she's taking everybody's eyes with her. Like, <laughs> and then lo and behold, uh, 
She's not in extreme danger. Cyclops tries to take responsibility for someone else's actions. Um, she just has a mild case of shock. Thank goodness we're all doctors. And it's time to cut the machine. And so she made some sort of contact, but we don't know the extent of it yet. Beast tries to turn the machine off, but it is just boiling hot because it has accessed the negative zone. Blastar <laughs> is randomly yanked into our universe. Uh, uh, Carrie and uh, Clay, do you have any thoughts on these first few pages? The introduction of and monologuing of Blastar or perhaps the orgasms of Jean Grey? <laughs> <laughs> I just I read the first few pages and I thought it really needed like a, a an orchestra, some kind of accompaniment because it it really felt like he was having a moment. Um, it needed the world's smallest violin is what it needed. It's like oh baby, <laughs> that would work too. Yeah, I gotta say I I love Blastar's monologues and I, and I feel like it's so rare these days to kind of have the the kind of that alliteration and that 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 kind of quality of of purple prose and I and I miss it and I and I feel like there's something like this it does want to be read out loud like I like I'm I'm biting my lip you know holding back like because I I feel like there's such a desire to you know, when it's my five pages, I might have to monologue a bit because it's 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 just pure. Like this stuff seems to be written for the stage more than a comic. Like it it does it it just like demands to be read out loud. Blastar's astounding. I mean, this is a great time. Go ahead and take the next five pages for us. Oh my god! All right. Well, here we go. I mean, Blastar basically. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into uh, on five because I feel like there is there's it's it's such a, a beautiful moment. There's nothing that can beat page one, but uh, <laughs> ah, what is this bone deep pain that sears me like a knife of fire? It is the fingers of some invisible hand drawing me against my own limitless power pulling me into Earth's atmosphere where I will be destroyed. I don't know, like something has freed me. I am able once more to stalk the world which doomed me and to bring down total annihilation upon my tormentors. Blastar lives again. I want a slow clap right now. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And then he, he makes it, he makes it, uh, you know, the, the land of the living. And now he's got to go up against beast. And, uh, you know, he, you know, it's, it's amazing. He's got these Kazam powers that, you know, I, I don't even know. I'm not sure if I understand what's happening with, with Blastar's. So he's called, he's called Blastar the living bomb burst, which is amazing. And basically he can shoot kinetic energy out of his hands. That's kind of his power. So he's basically laying waste to beast by, by just blastaring him. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, but I, I mean, come on this. I I'm sorry. I'm going to use all of my time just to like read Blastar lines. <laughs> you are, you are one who must learn through sorrowful experience then let it be so 
Blastar shall be your teacher, and let the lesson that you absorb here serve as a warning to all earthlings. I will not be defied, and I will not be denied. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's poetry. It's poetry. And then he blasts Beast, and then there's a psychic uh, psychic blurp where I guess uh, Gene does a little telepathing to Iceman and Angel, and they they come to the rescue, um, and and basically they get there just to see Cyclops kind of uh, trying to protect um, Gene from Blastar, and and you know. Cyclops kind of goes on record as saying that that this Blastar guy is no cream puff, which is, you know, it is what it is. Um, and then, you know, Angel and Iceman, they get in on the, the, the fight and Blastar is really kind of impressed by Angel's flying skills. But then he shows off his own flying skills by by kind of using what is it his own ability to propel himself through space by emitting energy directly from his body. Um, I mean, he's, just sounds like just sounds like fart powers. I mean, it, <laughs> he's. I mean, it is the 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 panel itself kind of shows some uh, butt shooming kind of happening there, but uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> But then you know you get a nice little 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 fight in the air with uh Angel and and Blastar, which is super super sweet. And then Angel goes down, and then Iceman kind of comes up with some this kind of interesting plan, where I, I guess it's no that's that's going ahead. I'm not gonna I that's that's stealing someone else's thunder. Uh, but uh, but basically. You know, Cyclops, Iceman, and Angel kind of all get in the battle once Beast is down. But this Blastar is a really tough, tough guy to, he's a tough nut to crack. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, if I was there, I would I would probably, I would want an Ice Golem or two to kind of back me up. <laughs> uh, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Carrie, uh, end the first story for us, if you would. Yeah, so um, everybody's fighting against Blastar. Um, they've knocked him out uh, with an optic energy blast, but it's only a matter of time before he's going to get up again. And um, so they're talking about essentially what should we do? Um, and um, essentially Beast tries to defeat him with big words, which does not work. Um, but when would it? <laughs> Right. Jean comes up with an idea. Ha ha ha. The woman has a brain. So um, she says, let's um, here's here's my plan. And uh, Bobby says. Sometimes I think we made our biggest goof when we gave women the vote. OK, brain lady, what's this big motion of your uh, big notion of yours normally beast is the sexist asshole but bobby gets the turn in this issue well it, it's every single issue like the only ones i think where they don't make a comment about gene's uh feminine um i don't even know fe feminine foilabilities um is, is when she's not there um and sometimes they still do I'm that. I'm not even sure sometimes that works, does it? <laughs> anyway, at least she gets a chance to do the thinking. 
and she outlines her plan off panel. And um, then we see Bobby making ice golems. And she is going to manipulate them telepathically and they'll make a dandy little army. So um, now later, later, uh, we're going to learn Bobby's in a mega mutant, right? And he can create ice golems that he can then control. Uh, so he can create whole armies of these guys, like giant ice monsters to attack. So this is kind of a new use of his powers in the 60s, which is kind of fun. He's not animating, Jean's animating them with her telekinesis, but it's uh, it's kind of a fun throw forward to what Bobby's going to be able to do in the future. Right. Well, and they're not uh, they're not wimpy little things, because if you figure Blastar's been, uh, I think we're using it as a verb now, right? Blastarring people. Um so he's been blastering all the X-Men and, and he kind of gets brought down by these ice golems or at least slowed down enough that they can do something about him. Um, and, and so and Bobby, Bobby calls his ice golems company F for Frigidaire. Right. <laughs> and then they blast star through the ceiling. Ha ha. And um, so now it's just Blastar versus one of the ice golems. And uh, I cannot do the voice as well as Clay does, but he essentially says, there's no single being, not even these fantastic things that can stand the awesome might of Blastar. And um, he melts them. Um, And then he starts to monologue again because this is his thing. And then in one blinding second, he screams out in pain and he has, now I'm pretty sure these are meant to be um, the, the negative space dots, but he essentially has tiny eyeballs in his eyeballs. I thought he was crying. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there, but it doesn't look good. No, I'm so bored in the negative zone. Please don't make me go back. Right, right. <laughs> so um, the negative zone starts to, to take him over. And it's the wild en- energy from the machine combined with the water from the melted ice mannequins that have formed a power link and are sending him back. And Jean has a moment of regret because, of course, she can't stand seeing someone hurt, even if they are a villain. And everybody says, ah, screw him. Um, And they kind of end up talking about what Blastar is. And Cyclops mansplains it. He says, not exactly, honey. Blastar's basic energy was evil, pure, unadulterated hate. And wherever men live with hate in their hearts, Blastar lives there too. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, we discover that Beast hasn't died, and everybody's great, and Blastar is gone, and everyone is happy and throws a party. Uh, tell me your thoughts on this issue. What did you love? What did you hate? Everyone's thinking. <laughs> I mean, there were stairs that turned into a ramp, so that was a little disappointing. But but overall, uh, I like that. I guess they they seem sort of 
like I, I don't I haven't followed the the loss of Professor X as closely as I maybe should have. It's but, okay, but it seems kind of like they're like they're like the teenagers who are breaking into their parents' liquor cabinet at this point. Like, dude, but there are mind machines, dude. Like, what could we do with those? And they could pull an interdimensional being in from the negative zone and then have to fight him. So now they they've learned. So it was you know. I love uh, I love Barry Smith's pencils a lot. I want to know what room in the mansion they're in because it looks like they're in like a giant fucking like stadium somewhere. Like there's so much space in this room. Uh, what I love most about this issue though is it's so self-contained. So many of the issues have so much dense packed into them. This is just basically kind of a an even kind of through simple story. Blastar comes, they fight him, and then he leaves. And it's fun, and the art is pretty, and it's kind of a fun little standalone guy. I, I enjoy this issue for that reason primarily. And do we know if he comes back beyond that black cat issue? Like, is he? Oh does, yes, uh, yeah. He's appeared dozens and dozens of times over the years. Yeah, he's a he's a huge Fantastic Four villain, Captain Marvel villain. Uh, he's been around prominently in a lot of books. Actually, he has a he has a wife and a kid. Like, there's a there's a lot about this guy and other stories. And he keeps the hair. Yep, always always keeps the hair. Got to keep the mane. <laughs> got to keep got to keep the hair. I uh, I like him a lot actually. Uh, Carrie, any final thoughts from you on this section? I just think Blastar made the issue. You know, um, he's, especially since it's a standalone issue, you've got to have a villain that's somehow good. We have a lot of interchangeable villains in this era where a villain shows up and just never comes back. And Blastar, I can see why they bring him back just because he was so over the top and fun. Um, I kind of, like I'm I'm kind of thinking gosh where can I where can I use him how can I play with him because I want to write those monologues they seem like so much fun give Blastar a symbiote (laughs) 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 we could do it we could we could do this we could pitch it together Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I'm going to cover the final five page story really quickly. This is the end of a five part story that's focused on beasts origins. Uh, we, uh, we have uh, Werner Roth on pencils. Arnold Drake is writing again. John Tardiglione on inks. Jean Simak uh, on, well, she's, she's called Jean Simak Izzo. This is the daughter of Artie Simak. I'm going to talk about her next time because she's back. Uh, and then edits by Stan Lee. End of a five-part story, short version. Uh, Hank was uh, uh, crazy on the football field because he had mutant powers. They called him the beast on the football field. And then a villain uh, named Orlando Furio or the conquistador kidnaps his parents and makes beasts steal this like energy device. So just to sum up very quickly, we see the conquistador set up an experimental solar generator. He wants to use a show of force against the world's capitals to make them pay him blackmail money, basically. Uh, but Beast uh, is still awake and he fights back and Conquistador has an energy absorbing shield and an electric sword and they fight and Beast is overwhelmed until Professor X shows up with Angel Cyclops and Iceman. Uh, in their first meeting, Angel Cly- uh, calls out Beast on his big words and how annoyed he is, right away, which is a great uh, character moment. Um, and then uh, Conquistador basically blows up in his own machine. Professor X says, oh, I used my telekinetic powers to redirect the energy. He doesn't have telekinetic powers. I think uh, I think he just blew up and then Xavier uh, took the credit because he wants to impress the teens. But it's also possible Xavier has some sort of weird machine mind power and he killed a man. So either way, Xavier's a jerk. 
Then uh, Beast rescues his parents before the building explodes and Xavier mind wipes the whole fucking town about, <laughs> about Beast having any powers in the first place. So we're seeing egregious misuse of telepathy. Uh, very, very quick summary. Uh, the Conquistador has literally never returned. This guy, uh, this, this villain from this little arc, the only time we ever see him is when we see Beast's origins recapped. Uh, which has happened in a few different issues, uh, you know, origin stories about the beast, but he's never, uh, he's never shown up again, although he is labeled as a mutant. Uh, any thoughts on this five page story very quickly before we wrap up? I feel like I got mind wiped reading it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I would, I would prefer your recaps over the, the actual story, but uh, that was, you you gleamed more from it than I I think I did, so I'm I'm impressed. Well, it's almost like I do this every episode or something. <laughs> um, we're gonna get we're gonna get a, a a series of angel backup stories after this, and then we're done. And we're about to enter an era of the X Men that is wonderful. So next issue is 54. The book ends at 66. So we've got 13 issues in a row that kind of just all continue into each other. We have one long arc. Uh, we also get the uh, the introduction of the incredible artist Neil Adams in two issues. In the next issue, we get the first appearances of the living monolith and Havoc. And uh, we've got Sauron, the return of Magneto, the Sentinels, the Savage Land mutates all around the corner. Uh, so there's a lot of really fun stuff coming up that is uh, indelible to the X-Men ethos as we move forward. Uh, Blastar was the funnest part of all this with you guys. I just kind of nerding out and talking to writers that I respect and enjoy. So thank you. Thank you for the gift of your time and your talents today. Uh, I'm a huge fan of each of you. So recognizing that this episode is going to come out on August 19th. Uh, let us know where we can find you online and what you are able to plug that you uh, that you have coming out, if you're able to talk about it. Let's go in the order of uh, Clay, Carrie, and then Kath. Um, well, you can find me. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, it's usually Clay McLeod, not not uh, not to be confused with Brian McLeod, um, but I'll uh, uh, to say McLeod. Um, and then I guess in, in terms of things to plug, September 20th, my next book comes out, my my new novel, and it's called Ghost Eaters. Mm. Um, and it's a spooky novel about a haunted drug that allows you to see ghosts. Fantastic. Uh, any Marvel stuff upcoming? I wish. Um, I, uh, I, I think I might have like, uh, wrecked the car with my devil's reign, uh, stuff. So I'm <laughs> waiting by the phone. <laughs> ever call again. Uh, Clay, it's an absolute delight getting to know you. You're, uh, you're wonderful. Um, Carrie, Thank go ahead. Time. Uh, best place to find me online is on Twitter. I go there when I'm trying to avoid writing. I'm Carhar, C-A-R-R-H-A-R-R. Um, I do have a few things coming, but I can't talk about most of them. Um, I've got a story in an upcoming Arkham Horror anthology. So if you like the spooky things. Um, and then... Uh, this year is my year to... Um, I'm pitching comics. So I don't have anything to report yet, but if I say it on enough podcasts, then I have to do it. So this is my accountability. Uh, I, I am pitching comics. So hopefully you'll have something 
I'll have something to talk about soon. Uh, Carrie, it's a delight to see you. We've become friends. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for coming back. And then, uh, always great to talk to you. You can find me on Twitter at author underscore Kari Z because I'm too lazy to put up separate uh, hmm. profiles for all of my different names. <laughs> um, just can't do it. Uh, and I have, I'm working on a, my next Marvel Heroines book right now, which naturally means it's going to come out in the middle of next year. And then I'm doing edits on another IP book through Aconite that I've never gotten to fuss with before this. And it's horror. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Um, and I wish I could talk about it more, but I just can't. So that one also comes out next year. So my only release this year was Black Cat Discord when it comes to the Marvel stuff, but that's pretty darn good. It's great to have stuff you can't talk about too. Like oh. that's a, <laughs> uh, Kath, it's wonderful. I've been waiting for an evening recording so that we could have you back. And I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for, uh, Thank for, for joining us. Uh, Michelle Waffle texted me today. And she's like, tell Kath hi. So hello from Michelle. Michelle. She's wonderful. Oh, um, and then, uh, Lastly, you can find Gray Malkin Lane under Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. We'll be promoting content from all of you in the week that we release this. We've also got some really fun stuff coming up. Gray Malkin Lane has a Patreon now where we're doing obscure character focused episodes. Uh, short out, shortly after this episode is released, I'll be putting a Patreon episode up where we, uh, Steve Duda and I are going to focus on the character Grotesque who is actually wonderful. And I really love him after researching. Uh, on the podcast we have in our next two episodes, uh, we're gonna be reviewing X-Men 54 with uh, Elliot R. Brown, who was the tech designer from the original Marvel handbooks. He's like the guy that drew the inside of the Baxter building and like Spider-Man's web shooters and stuff. I'm actually really excited. I'm a handbook guy. So it's going to be like a super handbook focused episode. I'm really excited. Uh, after that, we're getting real nerdy with a, an incredible uh, cast of returning guests. And we're going to talk about the history of Cerebro in kind of a maxi episode uh, featuring Ariana Mare and Josh Trujillo and uh, Michelle Waffles coming back again, which will be lovely. Uh, and Kevin Gadd. So uh, make sure you join in. Uh, we have uh, incredible content. We're booked out for like three months, which is amazing. Uh, my husband and I are also going to be, at the time this is released, uh, at FlameCon. So if you are hearing this and at FlameCon in New York, come say hi, because I want to meet everybody. Um, thank you all for being here. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Blaster, blast off! <laughs> Blaster's a pirate. <laughs> 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 All right, everybody. Thanks. And we'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Grand Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Grand Malkin Lane.